There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, it's Lainey. Hi, it's Duanna. And welcome to a slightly delayed episode of Show Your Work. And we're delayed because... We needed more time to see Wonder Woman and to process uh, One Love Manchester, but we're here now. I was actually going to say, do we call this a special edition? It is a little bit of a special edition, right? It's the Diana Prince edition. Let's let's call it that. Wonder sure. Woman. Sure. Yeah. And 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 Manchester. And Manchester. I mean, listen, it was a big enough weekend. It was, a, you know, an event weekend. So here we are. Here we are. But before we get to that. You've just posted uh, your analysis of the Clooney baby names. Yes. Yes, I <laughs> and have. And we all know how you feel now yes. about the Clooney baby names. Yeah. However, there are more… I'm not sorry. I know you're not sorry. I'm not sorry that you weren't sorry when you were writing that. However, um, there are upcoming names that we are very, very excited about. You have not offered a prediction on the Beyonce twins… Names. I wouldn't presume <laughs> to read to be able to know her mind. No, and you know what? And I actually do think like that's a good thing, right? This is why we're interested in Beyonce because she does things that are nothing like things she's done before. Uh, there are people who are deep into, you know, Hova lore who can uh, point to number four and Blue Ivy and IV is four and whatever. whatever. There was not a – you couldn't have predicted that. Likewise, I don't think that you can predict the names of these children. Okay. And then I I referenced you when I was writing about Serena Williams and Venus Williams last week because, mm-hmm. yes, Serena's pregnant. The greatest mm-hmm. of all time is going to have a baby. Um, and Venus may or may not have revealed the gender – could be a girl, but you have a Serena and you have a Venus. So where do you go from a Serena and a Venus? So Serena and Venus are actually, what's amazing is they shouldn't work at all, right? Like Venus is, it's a goddess, it's a planet, it's all these things. And Serena is wonderful, but it's a name. Also note the word serene, not the first thing we associate with Serena. But because they sound so alike, Venus and Serena. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I wouldn't put it past something that has a tone like that to it. Uh, maybe it's because we've been talking about Beyonce, but like Celestine is something that could work in there. You oh, know? Celestine would work with Serena and Venus. Exactly. Yes. Or, you know, something like… Uh, I remember how excited you were when you found out that Miss Tina was short for Celestine. Oh, yeah. Like, come on. It's no no average Christina here. Yeah. That, of course it's Celestine. Um, so something like that I believe in. I also think it could be something, you know, of a – I would also buy a word name, right? Arrow, uh, Verity, uh, something that is like of that ilk of a, 
more of a statement name. Uh, when yeah. I say statement, I don't mean like with 75 Ys in it, but like a, a, a position. You're excited about it then, yes? Oh, sure. No, I'm not going to be bored by it. <laughs> Hello, Clooney. <laughs> God. I know you've written about it, but it's safe to say that whatever happens and whatever your opinion is going to be, you're not going to be disappointed. I just want to be surprised, guys. This is all I'm looking for is like pull something new out of a hat. I would rather hate it and grow to love it because it's nothing I expected. Like call it smash. I will find a way to get there. But surprise me somehow. That is my number one request. For that would all actually of you. be awesome if Serena had a had a child and called the child smash. Yeah, I'm I Sure. Like only Serena. Only like only Serena. Well, and of course, Smash's mama on Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Uh, what was his real name? Brian. Brian Smash Williams. Also, yeah. if your name is Brian Williams, you better have Smash in the middle. I also want to point out that their mom has a great name too, Oracine. Great name, right? It is a great name, but I didn't know her name, and so now I question Celestine. Oracine, Venus, and Serena. I don't know. I, I I may need to sit with this one some more uh, because there are ways and ways and ways we can go. That's the point. It could be amazing. Or it could be a boy. All right. Shall we? Shall we get into Wonder Woman? I mean, we're here, but we started with names. We did start with names, and I guess let's keep going on the name thing and Diana. That's what I mean. Yeah. You asked me whether whether Diana was going to have a pickup. You feel it will. Well, listen, and this all has to do with the fact that Wonder Woman smashed the box office this weekend. It was huge. I think the last time I checked, the weekend tally was $103 million. It is the most for a female director. So we are loving the Wonder Woman success. Women are so excited. You guys have been emailing us all week, all weekend. Thank you so much. And so... When these kinds of things happen, you've taught me there can be a surge. Absolutely. And Diana has not been a popular name. Diana is not Emma. Diana is not Emily. Diana is not Adelaide. Whatever. Um, so are we going to start seeing Dianas? So I think Beautiful we have, name. Well, yeah. I think we have to talk about why we didn't. And, you know, we sort of – you alluded to this uh, a couple of days ago on the site and people really came – with a chorus, I think people see Diana as a bit tragic, as a bit of a throwback tragic hero. There was, uh, you know, Diana, Princess of Wales, and it was already kind of an unusual name when she had it. Not unknown, but unpopular. It wasn't super common. Exactly. Yeah. And so she became the one name. She became synonymous with it. Uh, what's interesting about the fact that that you're asking is that in the movie, because of course you've seen the movie now, everybody, like this is your last chance to get off the boat before spoilers, but come on, just see the movie. They say her name all the time. I don't think they say Wonder Woman once. No, they don't say Wonder Woman once. Uh, they definitely say Diana. 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 Yes. And it, they don't say Ms. Prince or Princess or yeah. whatever. There's that opening sequence where she's running and it's Diana, Diana, Diana over and over again. So what it will do is it's going to start to sound normal in our ears. It's going to start to sound, uh, you know, 
correct. One of the reasons names jump is because they sound correct in our ears. Uh, So yeah, I can see it from that perspective. Absolutely. I will say that like now that I've been thinking so much about the name Diana, it's not a name like Jennifer where you have all range of people who wear it. You have D-list. I mean, for a lack of of a better way of ranking it or describing it, you've got A-listers to F-listers who wear Jennifer. With a name like Diana, I can only think of like big ass fucking history makers. Diana Diana Vreeland, uh, for those of you who are into fashion. Diana Ross. I mean, Diana Ross. And then Diana Spencer. Now Diana Prince. I mean, I'm just telling you right now, you name your kid Diana and the chances are she's going to be like someone who makes waves. I've never met a Diana. And I've never met, which means I've never met an ordinary Diana. So here's what's so interesting. Generally speaking, people love to use like less their grandparents' names, but more their great-grandparents'. Uh, so Diana and the Dianas that you referenced, Diana Vreeland and Diana Ross and uh, Diana Spencer, uh, who would be a grandmother uh, now, uh, they're still a bit young to have a whole bunch of namesakes. However, all the young girls who are seeing Wonder Woman, who are, you know, one of the greatest things has been hearing about how all the young girls are coming out of the theater, like trying to do those flip kicks and doing the wrists together and that kind of thing, those young girls who are growing up on Wonder Woman and who get to see a formative, powerful superhero woman with no apologies for it, who are six and seven and eight years old, those girls and boys will choose Diana for their daughters. Okay, so let's get into the movie. Felt like this was a movie that was, to me, almost like a petition. Like, you wanted to see it, to see it as a summer movie, but you also wanted to be in solidarity. You wanted to sign up. You wanted to have your name on the list of people who came, who came out. Yeah, I mean, I certainly, it was not an option to miss it. I didn't want to miss out on being a part of that. Uh, And I don't feel like it disappointed. You know, one of the things of saying like, oh, you want to be one of the people who sees it to support the fact that it is female led, to support the fact that I think it's, I think it's 20 minutes before a man even comes on the screen uh, to really like reflect how exciting that is. You want to be a part of that for sure. But that can also feel like homework. And this is not homework. It felt, it was, it was amazing. It was an amazing movie. Yes, you felt that way? Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a really good movie. Like, mm-hmm. I have some questions. Sure, I mean, that's sure. about why we're here. But I definitely think that for all the hype, and it was carrying a lot of hype, it was carrying so much expectation. My God, like, it was really going in. Everyone, like, so many women are like, please don't suck. Please don't be bad. And so for a movie to have to go in to itself knowing that, you're you're basically like trying to rep for an entire gender. But it, it, yeah. Yeah, like it did its job. But why should it suck? Like, and I know you're not saying that on your own behalf. I understand that sort of all of the 
stereotypes and things that have been set up about why, uh, you know, a woman doesn't helm a major, major superhero movie uh, until now uh, are, we know they're all false pretenses and we'll get into some of those. Um, but it, it, there's no reason for it to be anything other than awesome. And I guess what I'm saying is that we don't look at the other movies that way. Look, I am not a DC fanboy the way some are, or like somebody who needs to shit on DC movies as opposed to Marvel movies. Uh, so I know they nitpick with the best of them, but you know, I don't feel like people go into those movies in the same way saying like, please don't suck. Please don't suck. Cause you know, it's just going to be a good time. And I feel like this was partly a pass for that. Let's make it be a good time. But at the same time, there's also an added layer of expectation and pressure because, of course, this was a female-directed movie. And we have all seen, you know, what a female director is up against, how she, quote-unquote, can be punished for if it's not an A-grade movie and it ends up being just a B or a B plus. Did you use punished on purpose? A little bit. Uh, because, of course, I think about Lexi Alexander, a uh, friend to this podcast uh, and generally awesome, who, of course, did a movie called Punisher uh, and it was not as well received as it could. And she's been very open about how one misstep for any one director, one female director, that is, can banish you forever. Whereas one modest hit in an indie movie at Sundance for many male directors in their like 20s and 30s can catapult them to the very, very top of the studio wish list for yeah. directing movies. If I'm Patty Jenkins, I'm like, yeah, I'm awesome. But also I'm like, oh, thank God. Do you know what I mean? Because like Patty Jenkins, unfortunately, and I don't want to put this on Patty Jenkins, but Patty Jenkins, although in interviews she refused to wear it, was also wearing it. You know, she was representing her own work, but she was also almost representing the future and oh, the people who will come after. Oh, absolutely she was. And, you know, I think that that is something that we've been aware of and, you know, you don't want to give into, but you don't want to uh, ignore either. This idea that, let's be, let's be real, people were waiting for her to screw up. People were waiting for this movie to be bad. And when I say people, mostly I mean dudes, which is really unfortunate. And not just her, Patty Jenkins, but, you know, the movie does rightly rest on the director 90% of the time. But there's also been criticism of Gal Gadot, uh, not in the movie, but before the movie. Well, is she too skinny? Well, is she too, uh, uh, I don't know, nationalistic? Like people grasping at every possible straw to find a flaw in this movie. So it's extra gratifying that it was essentially, essentially flawless. It is. And, and yet it's a little bit, it's a little bit frustrating too, in the sense of initial tracking and projections for the movie about a month ago were 65 million, which would have been a very positive uh, which would have been a very positive result. And then two weeks ago, it kind of crept up to 85. Two days before the opening, they were like, oh no, we're looking at something monstrous. We are looking at getting close to 100. I mean, we are going to get to 100. And so I, I, 
And so it makes me it makes me think about you know that example that people always cite about Vogue, how you can be a medium Blake Lively and a medium Jessica Biel and a medium Sienna Miller and get one, two, three, four, however many covers of Vogue. But as a black woman, you have to be either Oprah, so a billionaire, or Michelle Obama, the first lady of the United States, or Beyonce, enough said, or Rihanna, or Lupita, who won an Oscar, that you have to be mega, mega excellent. And it makes me wonder whether or not if we're looking at a future where there's true equality, it's not going to be based on excellence. It's actually going to be based on mediocrity. You mean that there's a minimum bar to hit. That's right. Like true equality would be that it would be acceptable for everybody to suck male or female. But, you know… You've heard those, I mean, sure, that's true, but you've heard those studies where, you know, when women spoke 35, 30, 25 or 30% of the time in a meeting, men felt that they were speaking the majority of the time and were dominating the meeting. Uh, the ratios of what's supposed to be acceptable is still so skewed that, yes, the one bar has to be uh, has to be cleared so exponentially. Uh, and of course, yeah, the, the phrase that our black friends have, have been saying for a long time, you have to be twice as good to get half as far. Yeah. Which is frustrating. And she actually had to nail every stage, right? Like the budget for Wonder Woman wasn't as high as, you know, the budget for some of these other superhero movies or big budget movies or Johnny Depp movies. That's right. So she had to come in at budget including reshoots. She had to get the reshoots right. It had to be a set that was relatively drama-free because you know if it was one of those sets where she disagreed artistically with the actors and there was a blow-up. Like, you know, the example I think of is um, Mad Max, Fury Road. Yep. Do you remember all of those reports about the director and how he was getting into fights with everybody and they had to send an executive to the set to work everything out and Charlize wasn't happy with Tom Hardy and Tom Hardy was fighting… And well, and I think Tom Hardy later, by the way, yeah, said, oh, I was a dick, sorry, and said he was a giant dick on the set of Mad Max for no particular reason, but right. he was feeling insecure and isn't wearing it. No. So Patty Jenkins had to basically have the smoothest sale and get this box office and the critical reviews to be like, yay, that was amazing. You were successful. What if one of those variables… What if one of those variables didn't go as planned? What if it was a little bit over budget? What if the reshoots didn't go as well? What if there was drama on the set? Then you get a butt. Yeah, I think that pressure is not only on Patty Jenkins, but on Gal Gadot, even on the studio, on everybody working on this project. Don't put a fucking toe out of line because it has to be perfect or somehow it's going to be about how women can't make movies. If the catering is not as ideal as it could be, if somebody gets food poisoning, it's because women can't make movies. That's yeah. what it would have been. And I don't mean to sit here and be negative about something that was so positive. I just don't want us to get overconfident. I don't want us to like take this and be like, this is it. Well, but there's two it's here. Like what has been trumped, what cannot be untrumped is the trope that women 
at the box office don't sell. That people won't go see a female-led superhero movie that a woman director cannot bring in the box office. That has been trumped. I think worldwide totals are were at something like uh, uh, well over 200 million. Uh, I saw this movie in not my favorite circumstances, which is to say I saw it uh, at a daytime show in row double A with my neck back, and the theater was packed. I bought that seat because it was the last seat available. It was packed in the middle of the day on a weekday. People are going to see this movie. From that perspective, nobody can say anymore, well, the box office totals don't show it. Yeah, people will go to see movies led by, starring by, uh, helmed by women. That is an uncontestable truth, but I'm going to put on my white male executive in Hollywood suit, and I'm going to tell you what they're going to say. Yeah, but that's Wonder Woman. Yeah, but it's not like, you know, everybody knew Wonder Woman. So if it's going to be like a lesser known brand, then I don't know, that's still a long shot. Great. And you can hear that, right? Oh, of course. Of course. And you get a bit stymied by it because what do you say? You say, okay, we'll, we'll build up the brand. Well, there's no budget for that. Okay, well, we'll get a really bankable star. Well, who are we going to get? Well, we'll get Gal Gadot. How about that? She's a box office star. Yeah. Uh, you know, you then have to negotiate. And this is where, unfortunately, all of the things that we wish we could see on screen, all of the things that we don't see enough about uh, women of color and people in all kinds of roles and people who know how to do and make stories about women in real ways, uh, often because you're nickel and diming with the money guys who could give a shit what the story is. They just want to make money. Yep. And, a, but the money's coming. The money you know, is undeniably like, coming. Well, I said earlier that we're not there and it's not it yet. I will say also that there's momentum because Wonder Woman to me is not a standalone. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. This year, 2017, we already saw a marvelous movie with women that exceeded box office expectations. That was Hidden Figures. Oh, Hidden and Figures trounced everybody's trounced. expectations. And you remember the conversation that we both had on this podcast about Hidden Figures and the money was the same. Hey, people are going to see this movie. Not only a movie about three women, but three black women. It's there. The audience is there. The hunger is there. So we've gotten to Hidden Figures. We have the Women's March. We have had an ongoing conversation, the resistance. And then comes Wonder Woman in June at the middle of the year in this weird, extraordinary year. Um, And Wonder Woman is sort of like coming after all of that momentum. Yeah, and I want to read a quote from Patty Jenkins because it can be easy to think, oh, you know, that means that we have to be tough and we have to not let our guard down. And you quite accurately said, uh, you know, we're we're not there yet. It doesn't mean that we are all the way in place, right? Uh, and so I hear that. And so I want to read this quote from the New York Times that's been making the rounds. Uh, wherein she says, uh, she's asked, this may be a cheesy question, but what do you want people to take away from this movie? And she answers, did you say cheesy? Cheesy is one of the words banned in my world. I'm tired of sincerity being something we have to be afraid of doing. 
It's been like that for 20 years that the entertainment and art world has shied away from sincerity, real sincerity, because they feel like they have to wink at the audience because that's what the kids like. We have to do real stories now. The world is in crisis. I want to tell a story about a hero who believes in love, who is filled with love, who believes in change and the betterment of mankind. I believe in it. It's terrible when it makes so many artists afraid to be sincere and truthful and emotional and relegates them to the too cool for school department. Art is supposed to bring beauty to the world. That's actually why Celine Dion is cool again. That's why Celine Dion is cool again and always was. But the point is really well taken that you cannot get to being who Patty Jenkins is, doing what she did and defying all the expectations and so forth by being cynical. You cannot get there by doing it, by saying, we got to just give them what they want and like shovel tits down their throat and blah, 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 because you will not get there. You have to do things that you truly believe in. You have to do things with all of your warm heart and mind, knowing that they may fail, but with all your sort of best intentions out front, or people will see through it or they won't bother. Well, on that note, let's talk about the story then. Let's talk about the story. What did you think of the story? I mean, I liked the story very much. I didn't know where we were going to go. I mean, on a, okay, here's my question. On a superhero literacy scale uh, from one to 10, where would you place yourself? Mm, Three? Really? Yeah. I would put you higher, I feel. You've made references to things that are, as you say, gathered from watching enough hero stories or whatever. Well, I've seen all the Marvel movies in the last, what, 10 years, several times. But most of my knowledge is just based on that. It's not based at all on comic books. Okay, but I feel like in the current conversation, especially as comic books and movies converge and overlap with one another, I feel like that alone puts you at a 5.5. Okay, I'll take a 5.5. I don't think I would go higher than that. All right, that's fine. I would put myself closer to a uh, a three and a half, a four. Um, you don't spend a lot of time in writing rooms, as I do any writing rooms, without getting a decent vocabulary for uh, hero movies and hero myths. Uh, there are many, many, many working male writers between the ages of 35 and 50 who only speak in Star Wars. Uh, And I say that with all sincerity. Like, that's how they explain story. I find it's either Star Wars or The Matrix. Yeah, The Matrix comes up a lot. It's like, it's the one. Yeah. That's what you're looking for. And Harry Potter. So, also the one. But uh, to go back to the conversation about cheesy and sincerity, a lot of people don't feel comfortable referencing Harry Potter. Because it's so earnest. Because it's so earnest. Because it's about kids. Because it's so young. It's not a young, it's not about a young white man who finds his destiny in his journey. Um, but I didn't know where we were going with, uh, with Wonder Woman. And so to have an origin story, uh, made me very happy. You I didn't know that she was the one? Of course I knew she was the one. I yeah. mean, I get it. I've seen a movie before, <laughs> right. but I didn't, I thought we might have a, for example, with Tony Stark, with Iron Man, the first we had a an Iron Man adventure. You know, there are two types of stories. There are origin stories. This is how I came to be the person I am today. Right. And there are the stories that are, uh, I was walking along, living my life, and boom, this happened to me. Right. 
that kind and of that's, thing. Yes, that's Iron Man the first. Exactly. Right. right. He was walking along being Tony Stark and then yeah. Iron Man happened. So I didn't know which kind of story we were getting. Uh, and I enjoyed a an origin story way more than I expected. In particular, the like wide-eyed, what is the world? What is a war? I thought would be a lot more grating. And I didn't find it that way. No, I didn't find that grating either. Like I found that, you know, and this is Patty Jenkins, the the wide-eyed innocence I bought and it wasn't cloying. Although I do at this point want to bring up Sarah's point because Sarah's uh, point in her review was she liked the movie too. One of the things that she had problems with was that in uh, Diana's discovery of how the world works, because remember Diana comes from an only all-female environment, was she was put into positions where they were like, why are you here? Get out of the room. You're not… Why are you talking? Right. And she said that she would have wanted to see more of Diana's bewilderment at like being in this space where, hey guys, uh, where I come from, I'm allowed to talk and I, I don't understand why no women are in here. Where are the women? And what is this world that you've constructed where… You have a meeting about world peace and not a woman is present. You know what's interesting about that is that to me that is explained with arguably my favorite line in the movie, which is too early in the movie for it to be my favorite line, but I loved it. Uh, in, the, in the battle scene uh, with, uh, with Robin Wright, uh, what's, what, what's, what was her aunt's name? Uh, Antio or A-N-T-I-O-P-E. I can't remember how they pronounce it in the movie. Antiope? Yeah, maybe. Antiope, yeah. Anyway, she's kind of showing off and she looks at her mom, like, look what I did. Yeah. And she goes, never let your guard down. You think a battle is fair? It's never going to be fair. And to me, that is the meta statement for the movie. And I feel like that papers over some of Diana's uh, realizing that, you know, that's what it means, that I can't be in rooms, that people, you know, leave babies to die, that whatever. Uh, so I bought that as a touchstone, even though they didn't come back and hit it as hard and and over the top as I thought it, they would. Yeah. I, I, I bought that, okay. What did you make of Sarah's other point about um, in the first 20 minutes, uh, you pass the Bechdel test? Oh, yeah. But… There's no more passing of the Bechdel test basically in the last two-thirds, the second act, the entire second act and the entire third act because Diana is not with any women. I mean, you could maybe make a note, a momentary exception for the like dress-up scene with, uh, yeah. with, with the, the secretary and Diana, but I mean, yeah, that's a true thing. It's also a a real thing, you know, like that is they made the choice to set the the film during the First World War, which is smart from the perspective that, you know, you need her to see the horrors of the world. Here it is, right? Like maybe don't bring her to the beach on a nice day. Um, so, you know, I think that's part of what she winds up fighting against, right? Like, oh, they don't deserve me. Like, I think that's almost correct. We can't have a woman be there and be soft and put her arms around Diana and be the, you know, mother figure slash child figure that she would seek comfort in because then she's not going to have the fucking, like, 
anger and fury to get up over the top and kill Remus Lupin. Um, we need her to be alone, to feel alone, I think is what I think about that. I want everybody to write us and let us know whether or not you knew Remus Lupin was going to be the big bad because he's Remus Lupin. Like the minute he came on screen, anybody who's ever seen a Harry Potter movie was like, oh yeah, he's not just like there to stand there and do some lines. Remus Lupin is a thing. Yeah, I didn't know he was going to be the villain. I knew he wasn't, as you say, just there to stand there. Yeah, I to me, like, that was, I mean, it's not a problem with the movie. It was just, to me, it's so obvious. Like, if you're going to cast that guy, he's going to be a something. Well, and we're saying that guy because uh, despite being that recognizable. <laughs> David I, something, right? Well, I don't know. Let's find David out. David Thewlis. I think his name is David Thewlis, but obviously I don't think he would take it as an insult. He is Remus Lupin. His name is David Thewlis, uh, and you can also catch him in uh, such things as… Harry Potter. Enough said. Pretty much. Uh, Yeah, no, I, I was endeared by him, yes. Here's where I worry, um, and it's a small thing. It has nothing to do with this movie as a standalone. I really liked the movie. I had a great time. Um, Like so many other people, I had surges of pride and, you know, those when you can't, when you can't catch your breath, um, every time I heard that music, I still hear it. Right? Like. Sorry, how was that again? (laughs) Is that how it goes? (laughs) Anyway, so, I mean, listen, I had a great time, but going forward, here's where I worry a little bit about Diana. And my worry for Diana is my complaint about Superman. Superman is immortal. He's an alien. And he basically has, like, all the powers, right? You can't, like, no one's going to kill him, which is sometimes why the whole DC thing doesn't make sense to me because, like, they have... Um, a Justice League where it's Superman and Batman and whoever man and Wonder Woman. And I'm like, why do you even need anybody else when Superman can do it all? Like, in theory, Superman can actually defeat everyone. Right. And Diana, Wonder Woman, is immortal. She is the descendant of Zeus. We learn that she's defeated Ares. You can't touch her. So given that their mortality, Superman and Wonder Woman, their mortality is without flaw, then where are the flaws going to be that make them interesting as people? But you just hit it there. The flaws are in them as people. Like, sure, they're great fighters, but it doesn't make them, like, emotionally intuitive. It doesn't make them easy to work with. The Wonder Woman, the workplace comedy. I don't know. But like, I think that's actually the skill of this most recent generation of superhero films. The It's not about your Achilles heel. Uh, oh, I can be defeated if you have the exact right combination of powers at the right time. It's about your, uh, you know, pureness of heart or lack thereof, right? Like, I think what we have seen about Diana... Uh, is that she is headstrong to a fault, uh, maybe even innocent to a fault. I don't know how much of her innocence we think is going to be eradicated, but I think we need some of that spirit to to stay with her. Um, 
I think, yeah, I think it's about who they are as people, which I would argue they would think of themselves as. Like, I, I think that's a great point, the word headstrong to describe Diana. I think that that is the problem with Clark Kent slash Superman is that, and yes, nerds, I am aware that he does have an Achilles heel and that's the Krypton... Kryptonite. But that's the problem with He's an kryptonite. alien, though. It only comes from, like, outer space. Well, and then... On and, Earth, he's undefeatable. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's an external problem, right? Like, it's an external poison as opposed to what, again, what made Iron Man so great, what makes Tony Stark so great, uh, is that the problems are caused by Tony Stark. Yes, are, I love him. Are caused by who he is. He's great. He's great. Now. So with Diana, I like the headstrong. Yeah. I don't think that they show us any of those qualities in Superman is what I'm trying to tell you. He's okay. always going to be good. He always thinks this through. He, he always thinks thing, he always thinks things through. He's patient. He's kind. He's considerate. But then that underlines your point, right? Wonder Woman has to be twice as complex to be thought of as half as compelling. Well, I wouldn't say that Superman is compelling. I think in the time of the last 20 years, as Patty Jenkins was talking about, that cynicism has set in, which is why the Dark Knights, the Dark Heroes, the Tony Starks, the Bruce Waynes have risen in popularity. We are in a time, or we were in a time, where we wanted to see that darkness in our superheroes. And that's why the last Superman movie was, like, I mean, it was okay, but nobody loved it. And it's why Henry Cavill is not a household name. He played Superman, Clark Kent. Um, I am very interested, though, in this point of Patty Jenkins where she's like, hey, the 20 years we've had of cynicism where you want your dark heroes and you want your complicated assholes who are also, in who are also imbued with all these superpowers, it is over. We are at a time where we need goodness, just pure goodness. So I'm I'm interested in that in terms of a theory and of its time. And yet, I do also worry about Diana being boring. She wasn't boring in this movie. I'm not saying she was. I'm just saying going forward, I what what is Diana going to bump up against? She's got way more to bump up against. Like, first of all, uh, you know, fictionally, she had a first love, right? So your second love... Uh, can always be, can be much more interesting themselves. They can be much less white bread, much less bland. Apologies to all of you who have a new cr crush on Chris Pine after watching that movie. Uh, did I get the right Chris? Yes, I think I did. Yeah. Um, you know, I get it. I kind of did for a minute too. But, uh, you know, she will react differently. She will have two work with other women. Yes, in theory, she's done that her whole life in the on the island and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, she's always been special. You know, let's see what it looks like when she's not, when she's less of a ragdoll. I actually see more and more potential for her not to be perfect, not to be a Mary Sue. Uh, I, I worry less about that. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad because I will tell you that like, again, they haven't been able to like figure that out in Superman. Well, but that also might be – that's a, a problem with the dual identity thing, but we'll we'll get there when we get there. I, I, I'm available to give notes, guys. So as you said, Diana, she had a first love, um, and you got the Chris Wright, Pine. Um, a pretty well-written character in his own right. 
Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that he he had a tough job to do, right? He has to ask all the questions that the audience had. How did I get here? Why is the water like this? And be kind of charming and cute. Uh, yeah, he did. He was well-written and he did a good job with it. He was believable. He was endearing. And as many people are pointing out, including Sarah, the Chris Pine counterpart in a male superhero does not get the same courtesy. No, indeed. No, he's the girl in this, right? He's the one who stands at the side and is like, no. And maybe if he's lucky, uh, if she's lucky, she gets to like kick somebody in the face and then it's like, oh my God, I did it. Uh, the Goonies comes to mind uh, for those sort of shots. No, does not get the same courtesy at all. But, you know, this is another reason why we're stepping towards a new a new place, like a new reality where like, yeah, they really can be co-stars in a way and he can support her story without taking it away from himself. So good on you. Uh, uh, Steve, what was his last name? Like they, they said it a million times, but that one did not stick for me. Ah, uh, Steve. Steve Vickers or something like that. But it Rogers? Wasn't no, know. that's Captain America. Well, see, this is the problem with the Chris's because they – I think the Captain America guy is also called Steve. Well, but that's not Chris Pine's problem. Well, I mean, that was what his opening on Saturday Night Live was about, how like he and Chris Evans are both in superhero movies and both of them play Steve's and they're both Chris's. Yeah, that's, it's, guys, just mix it up. This is what we're saying. My country for an Enoch right now. But... Here's what's interesting, though. We're going ahead. We we talked about Patty Jenkins ad nauseum and, and talking about Chris Pine. And we haven't really talked about, about Gal, Gal Gadot. Gadot. Yeah. I Could, hate to do this. Go on. It's Gal Gadot, everybody. It's not Godot. Does it seem like it would be Godot? It does seem like it would be Godot. How many times did you let me say Godot before you corrected well, me Well, I just, I didn't want to be that dick because we have this fight like every other episode where I'm like, the pronunciation is this, and then you're going to be like, no, it isn't. And then I'm going to be like, actually, this is how she says her name. I can pull up the video well, I, for I you. I believe that it's Gal Gadot. That's fine. Okay. Okay. Let's Gal- go back and layer it through the rest of the podcast. But- yeah, why aren't we talking about her? Or have we been saving the conversation? Or, like, what do we think now? What's going to happen to her, for her? I think that, look, I think that for the immediate future, Gal Gadot is Wonder Woman. I think she was the perfect Wonder Woman. I mean, I I was amazed watching this movie. I was like, oh, yeah. Nobody else could have been this. Well, it's interesting. I was thinking about who came close. Like, who were other people? Like, I can't even think back now to who was legitimately in the running. Great point. She has so fully inhabited Diana uh, that I actually don't – and I have, like, a steel trap memory. I don't remember who – like, I don't remember what other actresses were in the running. Right. Because uh, I don't think that it matters anymore. And this is the glory of somebody who really hasn't done much before, right? They come in, they are the character. She is Wonder Woman with no baggage, with nothing nothing. uh, to have gone before. She is Diana. And she was gorgeous. Like I said, like I was sitting in the front row with my neck craned way back. And she somehow managed to make all that wide-eyedness appealing. 
and not girlish. A woman through and through. A hundred percent. Right? This is what you say a lot about um, the girlishness of of casting and um, the girlishness of certain actors and the womanliness of of certain actors. I mean, this is what you've always said about Julia Roberts. She was like all of maybe 20 when she did Pretty Woman, and yet she was a woman. She was a woman. And yet then for the next 20 years, we got uh, 28-year-olds who played or looked 18. Yeah. And, you know, that can be a fact of life, but an effect of casting for various reasons. But no, I want to watch women. People want to watch women. That's the other thing about the Bechdel test. I I don't know what the comparable test is for women on screen above a certain age, but I bet we pass it uh, in those first 20 minutes. You know, there's no young, lithe, nubile 16-year-olds on that screen. They're all grown women. It's really wonderful. So about Gal Gadot, though, 100%. She was, is, and forever Diana Prince, Wonder Woman. Do you care to see Gal Gadot in any other roles? Sure. Why not? I mean, I maybe answered too quickly uh, because I feel defensive. Yes. Sure. Why not? Do you mean because she's so purely Wonder Woman that seeing her in something else would take it away? I, I, I feel like maybe I'm failing the side here. But as much as I love her and loved her in, in Wonder Woman, and I'm like, yes, Diana, go. And I will watch this movie probably two more times. I will give it my money two more times. And then when it comes on pay TV, I will watch it again. Do people still say pay TV? I actually haven't <laughs> heard that phrase. <laughs> when it comes on premium cable um, in my package, I will watch it again and again. And I'll watch it on a plane. But I have to say, like, I don't know that I'm going to be like, oh, casting in the new drama written by whatever, I can't wait to see Gal Gadot in it. Okay, well, you know, we're here, we're talking. Am I failing the side? I don't know if you're failing the side, but if that is something that is true of everybody and not just you, then from a work perspective, we should figure out why. Why do you think that is? What is it that you don't think you want to see? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It could be a little bit of when you love something, and this is, it goes back to want and need, Duanna. When you love something, you don't want it to change, right? Or being resist. I just want her to be this. And that's not fair. But again, do you think that you want her to be this because... She can't be this for you if she's doing other things? Is that the idea? Like you want to preserve her as Diana? No, I don't. It's not necessarily that I'm worried or scared that like she goes and does a movie and then I'm like, oh, you're not Diana to me anymore. I just like, I feel like in these times, 
artists are <laughs> like this and that and this and that. And there are so few artists who are just this. Like Celine Dion is just Celine Dion. She's not an author. She's not an actor. <laughs> you know, she's not anything else but Celine Dion. Right. And do you want her to be? Like, do you want Celine Dion to be cast in a movie? No, but like, look, I'm always here for a Celine Dion simile, but I'm not sure how we've compared <laughs> Gal Gadot to Celine Dion twice I already. I actually love that we have. <laughs> so I guess the thing is, is this, um, from a work perspective, is this an unwritten tenet of being a Marvel star? Uh, because, you know, if we talk about, you said Henry Cavill is not a household name. Uh, it's not like these people are, as you say, knocking off tons of indie movies and dramas and whatever. Like Chris Evans had that movie about the Brainiac child uh, proof yeah. recently. Yeah. But like, yeah, they're not racing off the other blockbusters kind of thing. So is this something you have to accept if you take this on? We talked a few weeks ago about Brie Larson uh, and her uh, choice to take on that part. And so, you know, is that a thing that once you are that, you are nothing else for a while? Is that something that Gal Gadot would have had to consider before she was Wonder Woman? Well, and I think that for male actors in particular, it's what they always run away from. Like you mentioned Chris Evans and he's like, I'm so sick of Captain America. I want to direct and I want to be in rom-coms and I want to be in these like serious movies. Um, I, I really wonder if she's just going to be like, yeah, I'm good with this. Right. And there, and there's no reason she shouldn't be. Uh, I think it's great to, to have her be this, but I guess that's a consideration, right? If you choose somebody who has a career to be your superhero, do you have to contend with them having done other things? Uh, this is, you know, I think about Jessica Jones, for example, Kristen Ritter, uh, was a little bit playing against type, was a great Jessica Jones, but had been playing all manner of different kind of bubbleheads before playing Jessica Jones. So, you know, she became somebody else. If you choose an unknown, are you more likely to have them be yours and only yours? DC. Okay, so we asked um, people to write into us their thoughts about Wonder Woman, and we promised to read a few of these emails. I just wanted to read a note from uh, Sophie. Sophie, um, by the way, hi, Sophie. You've been reading this blog for a long time. So hello. Glad you're still with us. Um, Sophie has a note specifically for you, Duanna. Huh? This is just for Duanna, a fellow Buffy fan. Steve Trevor. Trevor! That's his name! <laughs> I knew it was a two first names. Stop doing that shit. Anyway. Okay. Steve Trevor's last scene, the expression on Chris Pine's face, reminded me so much of the last moments of Buffy in The Gift. I know nothing about this. I'm sure you're about to tell me. I am. Not quite a shot-by-shot -shot expression remake, but close. Given that Chris Pine is a friend of Joss. And All caps. And he had a line in that Whedon PSA last year that it was a direct ripoff from a scene in Wonder Woman. This both frightens and arouses me. Oh, okay. Wow, Sophie did her homework, man. I'm sure he's seen that episode, if not the whole series. So in his own way, he seemed to be paying tribute to that other warrior. That's the point at which I burst into tears. All right, let us marry Buffy and Diana. Go. 
Uh, well, you know, what's interesting about this is that actually this doesn't marry Buffy and Diana. This marries Buffy and Steve Trevor, which is interesting given your earlier point about him playing the girl role. In The Gift, uh, Buffy must essentially sacrifice herself to save the world. It is a very, very similar situation. The show was coming to an end on the WB. They didn't know if they would get more seasons. So it was uh, the end of season five and it was positioned as uh, a maybe goodbye. And Buffy had come to an enormous place of peace after a terrible tumultuous year. Uh, And so when she looks at everyone and dives into an abyss uh, to save the world, uh, also because of the key and Dawn and don't yell at me about glory, please. Um, and Ben, God. Okay, losing me here. <laughs> when she does that, she does it with uh, no misgivings, with a purity of yes. heart because uh, she's there, she's ready, and she loves her friends so much. She loves the Scooby gang, as they're called, that it, she doesn't think twice about it. Uh, and so I appreciate that, Sophie. Um, I also feel like, you know, I did kind of wonder whether they should have stayed with him for one more minute in that plane to see his face. Uh, just even, I wondered, I wondered whether if we stayed a minute longer, we would see a flicker of, no, I'm doing the right thing of resolve. Uh, but I, I appreciate this very much. Everybody pull out your Buffy season five. Um, the next uh, note comes from a message we got from Kelly. So Kelly talks about uh, her relationship with her sister. And then she ends her email like this. I was at a baby shower for a friend on Saturday. Most of the time, I hate baby showers. But this one was very much worth attending. The mom-to-be is my boxing partner who boxed all the way until her eighth month of pregnancy. She's going to be a single mother. This baby shower was made up of a band of strong women who are all going to be there for both the mother and the little girl. Yay, she's having a girl. We're all going to be part of that little girl's life and provide any support necessary. Her mother is going to do everything she can to make sure her little girl grows up to be strong, confident, and happy. The mascara, is that how we say it? The mascara can be found in many, many places all over the world, even if men continue to tell us it doesn't. I love that. Look at you getting all Well, sappy. no, because it makes me feel like Lainey Gossip then, if you're using this analogy that Kelly just gave us, is Lainey Gossip a little bit of a Themyscira? You know, we have a team of all female writers and we support each other, we challenge each other, we try and make each other better. I mean, that to me is quite meaningful. Yeah, I, I really like that. Um, and one of the things that I thought, what would you say, like, what would you take from the movie overall? Oh, Duanna. Like, what's a, <laughs> that one phrase, one line, one word, if you want? Well, of course, for me, the line is, be careful in the world of men, Diana. They don't deserve you. So for me, it is about the word deserve, right? Uh, it's they don't deserve you. They don't deserve you. Uh, the dudes cheers with a drink. May we get what we want and blah, blah, blah. But we, may we never get what we deserve. Uh, and I think that... This whole film and meta conversation about the film is about deserving. 
deserving a seat at the table and deserving uh, an equal voice and whether or not at a certain point you just take it, uh, take what, uh, because you have deserved it for a very long time uh, and waiting around to sort of inherit or get what you deserve, whether good or bad, is kind of fruitless. That's what we're learning, right? Instead, the kind of message is go take what you are entitled to, go take what you need rather because deserve is never going to be as full a serving as you want it to be. Right. Take what you believe is yours. I mean, that was the, I mean, that was the, if you have to, if we're making go full circle, it's, you know, she got that message from her mother and then at the end she was like, it's not about what you deserve, it's what you believe. Um, if we want to link the two, it's what you believe you deserve, you take. Yeah. Or, you know, believe you deserve more, whatever way it works for you. But if we talk about deserve being a, a an inadequate measure, then figure out a way that it is more than that. So when we decided to make this edition of the podcast uh, kind of more narrowly focused, we knew we were going to talk about Wonder Woman for some time. We'd been anticipating it for a long time. We didn't know that we would be spending so much time talking about Ariana Grande and the Manchester Benefit concert. True? True. Are you are you surprised at how much of a conversation it became? Obviously, the Benefit concert was planned very, very soon after the attacks. Uh, some would say or would have said too soon. Uh, and then in a very short order, uh, I think it two weeks uh after after the the attack at her concert uh she had the full roster Justin Bieber, Miley Cyrus, the Black Eyed Peas, Liam Gallagher in something we will come back to uh and so many others to do this benefit concert for her. Did you imagine that the conversation about the Manchester benefit would still be going on? No. I I didn't. And I I don't mean that in a pejorative way. But I didn't, but I think the difference in what this concert was, was that she became the through line. We've seen a lot of these benefit concerts before, right? I mean, they've been happening for 30 years. And, sure. And what happens at these, and I've covered them and I've reported on them. But often they are, uh, you mean like a, like a live eight or… Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right? And so you have one act that comes on. And then there's a break and a reset of the stage, not to get all technical, but then the other, another act comes on. Mm-hmm. Um, with this one, although I haven't watched the entire thing, I've watched enough of it to see that Ariana was the headliner, so to speak. I mean, mm-hmm. she was the last to perform, but she had a presence throughout. Well, somebody said she ceased to, she ceased to be a headliner and became a host. That's right. And I think that was the difference. And that was when you ask me, did I expect? No, I didn't expect. And my answer is I didn't expect her to take on that role. And I loved her in that role. Absolutely. Like this is the conversation in a way that feels strange, right? Because this is a thing that happened to Ariana Grande in the, you know, 
in the sense that she was uh, in the same environment as as the victims, that they were there to see her. She is uniquely positioned, as you point out. Uh, and so, you know, you don't necessarily expect somebody who is a victim in that way to become the story. And she has become the story, but in the, in as you say, almost the, the best way possible. It was totally graceful. I mean, there's a way to, there's a way to do that where you become like, me, me, I'm this. And she managed to do this, yes, to my surprise, because I have not been a fan of Ariana Grande until recently. She managed to do it in a way where she was hosting and yet extremely generous, obviously to the fans and the people that they were remembering, but to the other performers. It was such a, it was the perfect balance of what that was. Like, yes, this happened to me at my show. So I understand I am the draw, the headliner, and now I'm going to step up as the host, but I'm going to do it in a way that, for instance, I don't think, maybe this is like not in the spirit of what the spirit of the show was, but um, in, in a way that I don't think, for example, someone like Justin Timberlake would have done. Right. Like you think there might've been more candles and like... It- soulful conversations. And it would have been more like literally about him. Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, one of the ways this is all these things that sound possibly superficial, but I think matter. One of the ways that it became so evident that it was not going to be about her in that way was what she wore. Yes. Right. One thing. One thing. But also, yeah, but also like I don't follow her career that closely and yet I've never seen her dressed in what essentially was a sweatsuit. Uh, It was so clearly sending a message about being here to be together. It's like if you called me and we're like, let's come over to my couch and we're going to like slump down. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Like that's what you wear to do that. And she was very clear that she was there to hang out, not to, you know, headline a concert that was about her. I also really liked the admission um, that she made on stage that she completely changed the lineup because Olivia, one of the victims, um, her mother said Olivia wanted to, would have wanted to hear the hits. And so she was like, all right, I'm going to toss out uh, what I had planned to sing and we're just going to do the hits. And that is to go back to our through line that we've been doing for years and years, the perfect merge of want and need. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's like, yeah, this is what it's for, right? And I think too, well, I was one of the people, I'll be super honest, who was like, I don't know, two weeks after that soon. That's hard. That's, I don't know. But it's what was needed, to your point, in a city that was hurting, right? Yeah. It's, it's the joy that was needed. There are all kinds of people lined up. There's fucking millions of cable news networks lined up to cry with you. But who's going to help you dance? There was that viral video of the police officer dancing with the kids, right? That's what seems so out of reach. And so there's something very intuitive about her and her team going, I think this is what people want. I think this is what I'm going to do. Or to hearing that, to hearing, uh, Olivia's mother say that and going, okay, I can take that. Let's do that. It is impressive. 
Yeah. It was impressive because, I mean, from our perspective, given the purpose of this show, and it's about work. Our show, yes. Um, This show talks about the ways work can flourish. And in a moment like that where emotions are high and it's easy to get sentimental, they made a very astute strategic decision. I appreciate that. Well, here's what's so interesting is that there we are not the only ones talking about a changed perception of Ariana Grande, a, you know, a different perspective on who she is. And yet, I don't think she was doing this to change her image. Of course not. I don't think that she took this on. Is it gross of us to be talking about how her image has changed, how the perspective of her has changed? I don't know. Because on the one hand, yeah, it makes it seem mercenary. On the other hand, once you watch it, nothing could feel further from the truth. It feels like anything but calculated or mercenary. You're right. And that's why we we got a message um, about uh, Ariana and a request from a reader. Her name is Nat. Um, and Nat writes, some celebrities have truly defining moments that alter the state of their careers. And I believe Ariana Grande has just had hers. I just watched the One Love Manchester concert and I was stunned by how such a massive yet poignant event was executed by Ariana, Scooter Braun, and team in a week. More than that, I am seriously impressed by how she's handled herself at every juncture of this experience. I'd love for Lainey and Duanna to discuss Ariana and the concert on Show Your Work. What responsibility will Ariana assume to her fans and the greater public at large going forward? Is it safe to say everyone has forgotten about her past PR blenders? And how will this alter the state of her career and the choices she makes moving forward? Um, look, I wrote on Monday, I think, that uh, the the demarcation of um, Ariana Grande's career, uh, for lack of a better way to refer to it, will be before Manchester, after Manchester. And I, I agree with Nat here that this is, while it was unintended – and certainly not by choice. She would never have wanted it to be this way. No. Let's stress that. The fact of the matter is, is it happened. And I do think that there is an after Manchester era of Ariana's career and it has begun. And, you know, sometimes there are people who, there's probably a, a phrase about this, but there are people who show who they are in moments of stress. In fact, probably everybody shows who they are in moments of stress. She has shown us who, like, what she has to work with. She has shown us who she really is in a moment of extreme duress and what she can do when push comes to shove. That's not calculating. That's not trying to capitalize on anything. That's talking about who you are when people ask you at, at sort of your most dire moments who you are. It is the beginning of the second chapter of her career. What does that look like, do you think? So I think she probably gets asked to do a lot more things. I think she will become a mainstream star in a way that she uh, hasn't been before. Uh, she still a, has been a young person's pop star or a young person's actress before now. Uh, so everything from, 
you know, presenting at award shows to introducing politicians that she supports at lunches and that kind of thing. If she is smart and she is proving herself to be, she will be discerning about what she chooses so that she can still continue to be Ariana Grande, right? Like people like her because she's unapologetic about sex and super open about uh, sort of her no bullshit feminist principles and blah, blah, blah. So I think that she, as you said earlier today, she doesn't want to be all the things. Like you still want her to be Ariana Grande. But yeah, I think we're going to see her in a more grown-up arena. Well, I I love that that point because there have been artists who um, their fan base is perennially stuck at youth, right? The fans don't grow with them, so they keep going back to the new 14-year-old. For better or for worse, and again, this was not by choice, and this happened to her. Um, however, I do think, I agree with you, the result of this has been an expansion of Ariana Grande's fan base. Like, it was probably sub-25 before, and I think that we're we're going over 25 now. Well, her reaction is the reaction a lot of adults would like to believe they would have had. Right? Like, that's what it comes down to. You look at her and go, yeah, I would hope I would be that graceful. I would hope I would be that compassionate. Um, and that alone is enough to, yeah, have a lot of adults kind of look to her and go, great, what else can you do? But can we just talk about one thing, though? In the space of the concert and all of the good that it was and all the people coming together, and I love how artists clear their schedules to do this kind of thing. Did you die? I know you know where I'm going. You're laughing <laughs> I already. I do. Did you die? Um, you're talking about the Gallagher. Oh, yes. <laughs> How he took the opportunity to basically bring his family feud out onto the stage. It's been like 20 <laughs> years. <laughs> How in a moment where victims were being remembered and courage was being celebrated. And everybody put aside their ego to do everything <laughs> for free and, uh, you know, Bonds were being formed. <laughs> the Gallagher came on stage and said, my brother is a twat, basically. Yeah. Liam Gallagher <laughs> was like, I don't fucking know why Noel couldn't be here. He's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and to your point about age and most adults would have wanted to be that gracious and that generous of spirit. As Here is her. A grown man, and not just a grown man like we call a 28-year-old a grown-ass man. This is like how old is the that Gallagher? Liam Gallagher, yeah. by the way. Uh he's he's certainly up there. He must be 50. Yeah, okay. So probably like triple or quadruple the age of many of the people in the audience. He is a grown-ass motherfucking guy and had to take that moment to be petty, to get his boy shit, brother shit, family shit up there. Can I just say that it gets better? Can I just tell you that it gets better? Proceed. I was about to Google the age of Liam Gallagher, and here's the headline <laughs> that greeted me. Are you ready? Yes. Noel Gallagher donates all profits from Don't Look Back in Anger to charity, despite Liam's digs after one love. 
They are out <laughs> charitying each other. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, anyway, <laughs> I love how, like, you just, you were like, but, and then I was like, oh, I know where this is going. <laughs> uh, my apologies to Liam Gallagher, who is only 44 years of age. Uh, and my apologies to uh, fans uh, who, thought that we were going to leave on a very nice note about the One Love Manchester concert, which was wonderful, but you can't leave that alone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But on that note, we will be back in less than a week um, with the next episode. It will be back on at the regular scheduled time on Monday. Um, Sorry about the delay this week, but I think I hope you'll forgive us because we had to Wonder Woman and One Love. We're not sorry. <laughs> um, thank you so much for tuning in. Please continue to email us. We love reading your emails. We love reading your messages and your tweets. Uh, check us out on iTunes and Google Play. Work hard. Show your work. See you next time. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 